0: There is uh, no TVs in Yellowstone. Herds of bison just cut off the traffic flow. Uh, I told my wife I felt like we were doing life on the real-life Oregon Trail. And um, because we were so disconnected, I had the opportunity to read a good bit. And uh, one of the books I read was by a guy named Howard Schultz. No, not the Peanuts guy. Uh, he's actually the CEO of Starbucks. CEO of Starbucks. And, um, and this book, it, it, was, it was kind of interesting. It, it was about, you know, it felt like a 300 page advertisement for Starbucks. Um, That the entire time you're just like, you're bombarding me with your propaganda, but then it works, right? Like a week later, you're like, I could really use a Frappuccino right now. And so you're, you know, go way out of your way to go get it. So, you know, this 300 page advertisement for Starbucks that works and it was an okay book. I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but, but a point that Schultz kept making again and again about Starbucks is that Starbucks is not actually a coffee company. It's actually a people company that, The language he uses is even that uh, Starbucks is not in the coffee business, it's in the people business, and it just happens to serve coffee. Starbucks is in the business of impacting people. Now, um, as to whether you think that's true or not is debatable, right? You know, the $4 latte, and they used to charge for their Wi-Fi, and are they in the business of impacting people positively, negatively, whatever it is? But here's the deal, is that no matter what line of, of work you may be in, we all hope that's true of our lives. No matter what line of work you may be in, you hope that you are in the business of impacting people's lives. Just, just start thinking about what you do for a living and, and see how this is true. So, so for example, many of you, many of you are in the uh, medical community, right? So we've got CNAs, we've got nurses, we've got therapists, we've got doctors who are in residency, we've got doctors out of residency, and you've got a lot of things you do throughout a day, right? I mean, you're charting and you're triple checking to make sure that you're giving the right meds. But here's the deal, is the most impactful moment for you happens in that moment where a patient's you know, maybe family member takes you outside in the hospital hallway and says, look, the way you cared for my dad, the way you listened to us, the way you cared, the way you paid attention to detail has made all the difference in the world. And we just wanted to say thank you. If you're in the medical community, a conversation like that is unbelievably powerful, isn't it? For some of you, you're in the education field. We've got people who teach little kids. We've got people who teach at the colleges and universities around the Denver metro area and whatever it is, I mean, you've got all this sort of stuff. You've got lesson planning to worry about. Uh, you've got, you know, plagiarism cases to worry about, and people are stealing articles off the internet and claiming that they're actually a Pulitzer Prize rating, you know, journalist. It's like, no, you know, Timmy did not all of a sudden get smart overnight. That did not just happen. You've got all sorts of issues that you were trying to work through, but the most impactful moment for you happens when maybe a student or a student's parent has a conversation with you and says, hey, I always hated math. Hey, my son always hated history and the way you taught, that class deeply impacted them to the point that now I'm thinking about this as a career. I'm thinking about taking more classes at Colorado State in order to be able to advance in this profession. Here's the deal. For some of you, you're already mentally pushing back, right? And you're thinking to yourself, like, but you don't know what I do. And yes, I understand that, you know, a teacher has the opportunity to impact people and a doctor has an opportunity to impact people. But you have to understand, like, my job is meaningless, I could disappear, and nobody would notice. It would take them months for people to even recognize that my job is not getting done anymore. And here's the deal. As even if you may just work in a corner, and even if you may just work at a kiosk, and even if you just might have a desk, and you could disappear. Here's my guess. As for some of you who are thinking this right now, at least for one of you over the last couple of weeks, somebody... Somebody approached you, somebody had a conversation with you and you could tell all was not right and you asked them authentically, is everything okay? Is it, what's going on in your life? And you could tell from the reaction and the response and the subsequent conversation that you two had that you're the first person to authentically ask them that question in a long, long time. No matter what you do for work, you hope that you're in the business of impacting people. Those are the moments of life that matter the most to us. It's where we feel like we're actually making a difference. Now, hold that truth in your head. And here's what I want to do. I want to read you the very end of this passage we just read, verse 42, okay? Verse 42, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And many believed in the Lord. Here's the deal. Is the result that you want for your life happens in this passage, the result that you want, happens in this passage as well. What you want to do is you want to deeply impact people. And what happens in this passage, the result is people, a lot of people, people like you interact with on a day in, day out basis are deeply impacted. I'm talking, they're so impacted, they change their priorities. They change the way they live. They change their notions of morality. They change their understanding of who God is. They're as deeply impacted as anybody could potentially be. They obtain the result in this story that you and I want tomorrow and we go to work at 9 a.m. And so here's the deal, is if that is true then, what you and I who desperately long to make an impact in the lives of those that God has entrusted to our care, what we should do is study this passage and ask, you know, how did you do that? How how, how did you go about doing this? How can I multiply this same sort of impact in, in my life? tomorrow as well. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to study this passage. The entire point is to give you the how behind you making this kind of impact in your life as well. And here's what it's going to be. It's going to be super simple. All you're going to have to do is understand two basic truths, okay? Two basic truths if we want to make this type of impact in our lives as well. Now, here's the first one. The first kind of basic truth that you need to understand is my ordinary work matters. My ordinary work matters. Why always say that together, okay? So we get a little kind of participation here my ordinary work matters okay that's good now look at verse 36 we're going to meet a lady named tabitha who's going to show us why my ordinary work matters now look at verse 36 now there was in joppa a disciple and disciple just means somebody who follows jesus named tabitha which translated means Dorcas, which yes, that is a real name. The joke with this is always, it's a good thing she went by Tabitha instead of Dorcas because Dorcas gets you beat up in the church playground. And she was, we learned three things about Tabitha or Dorcas. First, she has really great character. See that? She was full of good works. She was full of good works. Two, she has tremendous conduct and acts of Charity. And three, she's dead. Look at verse 37. In those days, she became ill and died. So that's Tabitha. She is a great lady who has demonstrated tremendous charity, who is now dead. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see in the wake of her death how her ordinary work made such a profound impact in the city in which she lived. Jump down to verse 39. Let, let me show you this. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. So, so Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, gets word of her death, goes to pay his respects, and here's what happens. All the widows stood beside him weeping, showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So here's the scene. Peter walks into what is much like the uh, visitation for the funeral, and the room is full, and it's full of women, widows, who are weeping. And the reason they're weeping is because they're showing Peter, uh, as they walk into the room, the, the clothing that Tabitha had made for them. You have to understand, in this culture, uh, to be a widow was not a good thing. As soon as your husband died, you had lost your means of income, you had lost your means of taking care of yourself. And this woman, Tabitha, who apparently was a pretty gifted seamstress, uh, comes in and she uses her gifts, she leverages her gifts to put together clothes to take care of these widows. And so it's an unbelievably emotional scene. An unbelievably emotional scene, you can imagine walking through these doors into a funeral visitation. The room is full of widows weeping. They're saying, this is the shirt she made for me when I couldn't afford one for myself. This is the jacket she put together for me in the winter because I couldn't pay for one for myself. This is the woman. The woman who lays here right now is the woman who took care of me when nobody else would take care of me. How did Tabitha change a city to the point that they weeped when she stopped working? She sowed. She sowed for the glory of God. And you know what you see here? What you see here is your ordinary work matters. The mundane, the trivial, the natural, what just seems like the ordinary thing you go do in nine to five You can make a profound impact by doing ordinary work with gospel intentionality. How does Tabitha make a difference? She sows. Now, at this point, then, you should be asking yourself, well, like, you know, hopefully at this point, you're thinking about your job, and what you're saying is, like, okay, well, how do I do that then, right? And even this is the point where for many of you, you're a little bit skeptical, right? Because many of you are exploring Christianity. Many of you are new to Christianity, and you've thought your entire life, there's God and there's work and never shall the two meet. Am I just right? And so you're out, you know, you're... Mentally right now, so you're telling me that if I'm a graphic designer, I have to put together logos for companies that up close look like logos, but if I stand far back, it's actually the face of Jesus, and it's like, gotcha. No, I'm not telling you to be a cheese ball, okay? I'm not calling you to that whatsoever. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give you four basic ways that you can work ordinarily for the glory of God, okay? So here's the first one. The first is you can be excellent. You can pursue excellence in your work here's the deal for us as christians what we believe is we don't work primarily for paycheck we don't work primarily uh, in order to have job security we work for the glory of god we believe that when you work what your work says the way you work proclaims something to the people around you about what you believe about who god is and what we can take from this text i mean it's easy to kind of overlook this detail is tabitha is good at what she does She's good at what she does, right? They're still wearing the clothes. They're not falling apart. They weren't like, you know, your aunt's sweater that she knit for you Christmas 10 years ago where you're like, oh, a sweater you shouldn't have. No, like really, you shouldn't have. Do they not have Best Buy gift cards like around your house to buy for me instead of knitting this sweater? She was excellent at what she did. And here's the deal. The things that you're good at, the, the, the job that you have, the things you enjoy doing, those are gifts, those are gifts God created you. He made you. He's equipped you. He's empowered you. Those things didn't just happen by accident and they seem ordinary because you've always been good at those things, but they are meant to be leveraged as gifts to advance God's mission in the sphere of influence that you have been entrusted with. They're gifts and their talents. Tabitha changes her city through sewing. What is the normal gift that God has given you to leverage as well? She pursues excellence. Not only does she pursue excellence, she demonstrates character. You see this? She was full of good works. Now, here's the deal, is that you and I, we are taught in our culture that, there is no, you know, that what you do uh, in your private life doesn't matter as long as you get the job done, right? And so I'm not going to try to get too political here, but uh, I just saw this a couple weeks ago. Um, we are the culture where a guy like uh, Anthony Weiner can text inappropriate pictures of himself repeatedly to women who are not his wife repeatedly, and then people are like, this seems like this guy's qualified to govern the most significant city in the world. Like, we probably should still... If you're doing that, I don't want you to govern my fantasy football league, okay? I mean, I am not going to believe that whatsoever. And so here's the deal, is that what you do in your private life Matters. It matters. Your private conduct. What you do when nobody looking, your character. It impacts. If, if you're a boss, it impacts the people that you employ. Here's the deal. If you're a boss, if you can't handle those smaller aspects of your life, why am I supposed to trust you with my employment? Here's the deal: is if you're an employee and you can't handle you know a little bit of private liberty when nobody is looking. Why am I supposed to trust you as your employer and manager and to depend my family's well-being upon your performance? Your private conduct matters, and you should pursue having excellent character. Not only does he pursue excellence and not only character, but here's the other deal. is you should pursue being a blessing to those around you, to pursue being a blessing, to look for opportunities to bless those around you. Now, here's the deal, is, is if you're anything like me, um, if you're working a job you don't like, which I love my job now, but I've worked a lot of jobs I don't like. The deal is, is, you show up for work and it's 9 a.m. and you're already hoping it's 5 p.m., right? You show up for work and it's Monday and you're hoping it's already Friday. And coworkers are nothing more than an intrusion upon you getting home, getting in front of the TV, getting a bowl of ice cream and just resting and relaxing. Here's the deal. Hey, have you thought about the fact that tomorrow, Tomorrow when you go to work, the people you interact with, those may be the only people you interact with, and you may be the only person in their network of relationships that will be a blessing to them. Those people, they know a lot of people, right? They know people who will criticize them. They know people who will tear them down. They know people who will take from them, but do they know anybody other than you who will bless them? And here's the deal. Here's what I believe. I believe God has put you providentially in their path, in order to be a blessing to them. Let me me just... My wife told me a story a a couple weeks ago. Um, She's a school nurse. She's a school nurse for Denver Public Schools, and she's at a tough school. She's at a really tough school. 97% of the students she works with are on free and reduced lunch. I mean, most of them, dads are out of the picture, being raised by a single mom. It's an unbelievably challenging environment to be in. And she was telling me about this third grader that she interacted with. um, Who That was her story, right? She is... Um, struggling financially. Her dad is out of the picture. Her mom is working two, two and a half jobs in order to make things, make ends meet. On top of that, this girl, she basically doesn't speak any English whatsoever. That's creating all sorts of problems where her classmates are making fun of her. Her Her teachers are getting perpetually frustrated by her. And one day it just kind of came to a climax, and she just blew up, and the teacher was yelling, and the students were making harsh comments, and this girl just broke down. And um, the teacher just did, you know, for those of you who are teachers, what do you do if you want a kid out of the classroom? You send them to the Nurse's office, which is my wife's office. Just know that, okay? So, you know, send her to the nurse, nurse's office. She shows up to the nurse's office crying. Megan asks what happened. She goes through and tells the entire story, tells about the language difficulties, all this. You know, trying to communicate My wife doesn't speak any English and, and, or any Spanish. And here's the deal. she, <laughs> she um, My wife, she goes over to the table. She grabs a box of Kleenex. The girl, you know, eight years old. Eight years old and basically raising herself. Takes out the Kleenex, hands it to her, and says, I want you to know something. I want you to know that right now I only know one language. I'm not close to knowing two, and you're actually learning your second language. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you are so smart. You already know more languages than me. And here, I mean, a single conversation, but here's the deal. Is those words of blessing that were spoken into this eight year old girl's life, I'm sure will carry her and sustain her for years to come. Here's the deal is that when, tomorrow, when you go to work at 9 a.m., you are going to encounter people that will not be blessed by anybody else. For those of you who work with somebody whose family member just died, to everybody else, they're going to look at that as nothing more than an awkward conversation to avoid. Am I right? I don't really know what to say, an awkward conversation to avoid. And you can be a blessing by offering comfort and security through your, your presence and your prayers. Here's the deal. For some of you this week, you're going to interact with a girl who just broke up with her boyfriend, the same guy, for the 15th time, right? We all know people like that. Some of that, that is us for the 15th time. And what all the other coworkers are going to offer in that moment is, let's go get drunk. Let's go make him jealous. Let's go meet another guy. Let's put the pictures on Instagram and link them to Facebook. And won't he be so sorry? You look so good tonight. He's going to be jealous. I mean, did that work the 14 prior times that you tried to pull that off? Did it? And you can step in and actually get to know this girl and her story and what's going on and why is she hopping from relationship to relationship to relationship and actually break the cycle of self-destruction that she is caught in? Look, for some of you, you think I'm not talking to you yet, right? Because you're a stay-at-home mom or maybe you're a stay-at-home dad. And you think to yourself, you know, this, this isn't me. But here's the deal is that tomorrow you're going to take your kid out. You're going to take your baby, your toddler, and to everybody else, that child is nothing more than an intrusion, right? A crying threat. Uh, he may break something. And you have the opportunity to say, no, you matter. You matter. And I will encourage you and love you and discipline you and care for you. Fourth you need to be ready to say why when you're asked why, okay? You need to be ready to say why when you're asked why. Now, I was talking to a guy in our church who manages probably more people than anybody else in our church, at least that I know of. He manages a number of people in multiple states from all over the place, and um, he said this. He said, here's the deal, is that if somebody pursues excellence, right, like they're the type of person that shows up on time and is the type of person who does what I actually ask them to do, Uh, if they pursue excellence, they demonstrate character, right? They, they handle themselves well in the workplace. They tell the truth. They're not the sleazy, flirtatious guy who's always hitting on women in the workplace. So, demonstrate excellence, demonstrate character, and actually care about people other than them. So here's the deal. People are going to want to know why. People are going to want to know why. And you need to be ready to say why when you're asked why. If somebody asks you, you know, like, why do you do all this why do you care about other people why do you not bail right at five o'clock and stay late so we can get home earlier why do you do here's the deal. What you don't want to say in that moment is like, well, all shucks, like I'm such a nice guy. And I, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just from the goodness of my heart. I don't know where it comes from. My mom says I'm so special. I mean, no, that's not, that's not what we're going for. Okay. That's not what we're going for whatsoever. The reason why you do that is because Jesus has been a blessing and he's blessed you in order to be a, for you to be a blessing in your place of work or in your home. And I understand that conversation is going to be awkward and it's going to be weird. And you know, should I bring this up? Should I not bring this up? But there Asking, so you might as well be honest. And I'll tell you, if Jesus has providentially carried you to the point where somebody has asked you that question in your life, my guess is if you're just like, you know, here's the deal. I know this may sound weird, but Jesus has blessed me, and I just want to bless and love you guys. If that's all it is, if you ever want to talk about it, I'd love to talk more. I'm willing to bet if He's taking you that far, He will finish what He started. And you can have confidence in what He is doing. Here's the deal, is that what we see is that when Tabitha dies and stops her work, the people weep. And I think the question you and I have to ask ourselves, here's the question I want to ask you, is if you stopped where you're working tomorrow morning, you just didn't show up or went somewhere else, would people weep? Would they take notice? Would they care? Would it make a difference whatsoever? So your ordinary work matters. It really matters. It really will make a difference. And, and here's the deal. We're going we're gonna to jump to the part where we're talking all about Jesus. But, but here's what I just want. Before we go on and jump further, I just want to tell you this. This is not going to be glamorous, okay? So like if you're tracking with me up to this point and you're like, that sounds good and I'm on board and I'm ready to change the world tomorrow. Here's the deal. is This is not going to be glamorous. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me very much of what it's like to hike up a mountain, which many of us in Denver have that experience. My wife and I, we hiked up in the highest mountain in Yellowstone just last week called Mount Washburn. And you know what it was? Step after step after step after step after step after step. And after about 10,000 of those, we got to the top of this mountain and the view was spectacular. And let me tell you, that's what it's going to be like. If you take this seriously of bringing the gospel into your workplace, bringing the gospel to your hobbies, taking the gospel into your home. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be just like that. I show up on time every single day. Step. I do what's asked of me every single time. Step. When everybody else is critical of the boss, I don't participate. I'm encouraging, even when they make fun of me for being encouraging, step. My my two-year-old is crazy in a major disciplinary and I'm not gonna fly off the handle and just yell and condemn and, and Get rid of, no, I'm going to lovingly discipline and encourage again and again and again and again and again. Step. You know what happens after about 10,000 of those steps? After about 10,000 of them, you reach this peak and you look out and the view is spectacular, which you see is this beautiful view called life change and the lives of those you care about and matter to you the most. It's not glamorous. It's ordinary. It's ordinary work, and it is so unspectacular, but your faithfulness and your commitment again and again and again will lead to people asking why, and when you say why, lives will be changed. We've seen that in the life of the Summit Church, where co-workers have baptized co-workers, and neighbors, neighbors, and family members, family members. Now, what I don't want you to get from this is um, if you just work hard, this will all happen. Here's what's more important. More important than you working hard is recognizing Jesus's already extraordinary completed work on your behalf okay so so here's the deal is that your ordinary work matters but here's the deal is that Jesus's extraordinary work is absolutely necessary now we're going to see this in verse 40 okay we're going to see this in verse 40 but before I read this, here's what, I just want to frame this for you so you understand what the author of this book, Luke, is doing. Okay? Um, what Luke, the author, and Peter, the guy who's about to perform this miracle, is doing is he's plagiarizing. Okay? Now, I've had conversations with many of you recently who are teachers who have dealt with plagiarism. Uh, why does anybody plagiarize? Why does anybody plagiarize? Because they don't feel confident in their own work. They depend on the work of another. Right? And that's exactly what's going to happen as we look at Peter depending on the extraordinary work of Jesus. So when anybody plagiarizes, we read a story and we think to ourselves, huh, that's really familiar. And it should remind us of somebody else. So, so let's read verse 40. Look at verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now, If you are familiar with your uh, Bible, that should seem like a familiar story. What happens is years prior to this, Jesus also encounters a dead girl and does almost the exact same thing. Let me read it for you. We'll have it on the screen. Jesus saw a commotion when people, uh, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age and were immediately overcome with uh, amazement. So so you should see uh, the blatant similarities between these to stories. What are the similarities? Both Jesus and Peter encounter a dead girl. What is another similarity? Both Jesus and Peter encounter people weeping and take them outside the room. What happens? They raise her from the dead. Not only do they raise these girls from the dead, but they say almost the exact same thing. What Jesus, what we see in his native tongue of Aramaic says is Talitha kumi. What Peter says is Tabitha kumi. It's blatant plagiarism. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It it happened in real history, but it's being told and it was done in such a way that was specifically meant to remind you of a prior work, of a work of another. Why, Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Here's why. It's because a lot of times what happens is people read verse 40 and they see this story and they say, well, isn't it amazing? You know, Wouldn't it be amazing if we could raise people from the dead like this? And other people come and say, isn't it amazing that the apostles and Peter could raise people from the dead like this? But don't you see they're pointing to the extraordinary work of Jesus? They're saying, it's not me. It's Jesus doing all this work. We are totally dependent on his work. Here's how I put, heard somebody else put it. It's like Peter is the extension cord and Jesus is the outlet. He is fully the power behind this being made and this woman being brought from death to life it is an extraordinary work as he raises a woman from the dead when he's not even physically present in the room now here's the deal what, what we can all agree on even those of you who are here and kind of checking out what what are we doing as a church and you're trying to figure out exactly who god is and you're a little it's, here's what we can agree on is that what you and i can agree on is the fact that When somebody can complete an extraordinary work, he can also complete a lesser work. You're following my line of reasoning. So if somebody can run a full marathon, you know that friend can also run a half marathon, right? Uh, If somebody got an A on their calculus exam, they can... Also do well on the basic arithmetic. If somebody can hike up a 14er, they'll have no problem walking up that you know, little hill that goes into the highlands that gets you to Little Man where you can go and you know treat yourself for hiking a 14er. I hate that hill. Every single time I have to bike up it, it's awful. And so you know that when somebody can complete an extraordinary work, they can complete a lesser work as well. Now, hold that in your mind. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus Christ has the ability to raise a woman from the grave, and here's the deal, I mean, like we've had all sorts of medicinal advancements, right? I mean, we've made it so you can eat dairy. We've made it so that your hair uh, stays the color of your youth. There's all sorts of medicinal advancements, but we have no answer for death. We're not close. All of us will die. If Jesus Christ can raise a woman from death to life when he's not even in the room? If he can do a work that extraordinary, what would it look like for him to manifest his power and his work in your life as well? I mean, if Jesus Christ can do a work of this magnitude, what could he do when you walk through your office doors tomorrow morning at 9 a.m.? I'm talking even to those of you who are skeptical. And some of you have all sorts of medical and philosophical questions and pushbacks to a a, a story like this. And I'm not downplaying those. And I would love to talk about those. But here's the deal. Just extend me the intellectual courtesy, maybe for a moment, to pretend like this is true. Just pretend like it's true. If it were true, what would it look like? How amazing would it be for Jesus Christ to manifest his power, this sort of extraordinary work in your life as well? I'm willing to blame that in the lives of those you care about the most, unthinkable change is possible. I'm willing to gamble that when you think about unobtainable life change that you always wanted and you always figured impossible, that all of a sudden new doors are opened up. What would it look like if we actually believed that the extraordinary work of Jesus is true and it can be manifested in our lives as well. Here's the deal. Is that for some of you, what I desperately want you to see is you need to receive the extraordinary work of Jesus on your behalf. I love that these two guys plagiarize and depend on the work of another because that is the heart of the Christian faith is we are depending fully on a work that is not our own. Here's the deal. For some of you, you're not followers of Jesus and you're checking out our church and you're figuring out the next step. And here's the next step for you. You need to make the decision to follow Jesus. Like you want to really make an impact in the world and you really want that to be your story and your legacy. Here's the deal. The reason you long for an impact is because God created you for an impact. That's the reason you get so fired up by all those causes and those documentaries and you put those bumper stickers and wear those t-shirts. That's God has wired you, your heart for greatness. But here's the deal is you cannot make the type of impact Jesus wants in the lives of others until you allow him to make that type of impact in your life first. And what you are meant to do is to look at your own story and to say, when I have followed myself, it has led to nothing but bad decisions and death. And even sometimes it's worked for a little while. But it has not led me to the land of the living. And so I will turn over my life and I will believe in the man, Jesus Christ, the creator of life, the man who lived for me, who died for me, who resurrected for me, who brings the death to life. He he was able to conquer the grave and by those who believe in him, his victory becomes ours. We turn away from our own way. We turn to Jesus. And just as Jesus brings a woman from death to life 2,000 years ago in a room, he's not even physically present in. He does the same today. He does the same in a room like this one where our dead hearts Our dead hearts are brought from death to life by the power of the gospel because Jesus lived, died, and resurrected, and death could not hold him down. You need to do that. You need to do that. And here's the deal is that for others of you, as you're trying to think about this, um, I mean, the others would just be the Christians, right? That would be probably the majority of you in this room. You've been Christians for some time, and um, I don't know what you think about all this, and and that's fine, but, but here's the deal is what I want for you more than anything else, is for you to start living like you have received this. You have received the full work of Jesus. Here's the deal, is that when you became a Christian, you believed the gospel, and when you received the gospel, the full riches of the gospel were gifted to you as well. God's forgiveness, God's righteousness, God's holiness... God's redemption, His Holy Spirit lives inside you. And here's the deal, is because of the gospel, the impossible is made possible tomorrow morning. It is. It is. And my prayer for many of you is you would recognize that your expectations of what God can do in your sphere of influence is far too small. Your dreams are far too small. I mean, what I want to challenge you to is maybe even just take, I mean, 15, 30 minutes, and ask yourself, if this is really true, if the impossible is made possible through Jesus Christ, who, have I, who I have already received, what would it look like for him to really manifest this kind of work tomorrow in my life, in my church, in my city, in my neighborhood, in my home? What would that look like? I, mean, I did that a few weeks ago, and it, was, it totally changed my perspective. Here's what I believe, is that for many of you, You're discouraged by the job that you work and how you feel like you're the minority and people make fun of you for the way you use your weekend and what you'll do and what you won't do. But here's what I believe. I believe that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, one person, one person can change the culture of a company. Here's what I believe is that for many of you at those jobs, there's people that you look at and you just say, you know what? They are too bad for God's grace. You may not say it, but you think it and you feel it and you avoid conversations because of it. When they ask you what you did this weekend, it's like, nothing, man. I just, you know, watch football. What did you do? And, And here's the deal, is I believe that because Jesus can save somebody like me and he can save somebody like you, he can save anybody. Nobody is too bad for the grace of God. And I believe that the impossible is made possible and that person can be impacted. I mean, we've seen that story when we come and we baptize people up on the stage and people are baptizing friends who said, I was the least likely person. This was the most awkward conversation. I never would have showed up for church. This is not my story. We baptize and proclaiming that what was happening on stage actually happened in their hearts. They were brought from death to life. Here's what I know for some of you, stay at home with your kids or you have kids and you're trying to figure out what that looks like. And some of you come out of really, really hurtful backgrounds. I mean, really, really bad backgrounds. And you carry wounds and you carry fears. And when you think about, you know, here... Here's wounds I carry from when I was four years old. Am I going to multiply the same dysfunction in my child as well? There's so much fear. Here's the deal. I believe that through the power of the gospel, you can write a different story for your children and your children's children. And many of you are. You are. Let me encourage you that. You are. You're writing a different story because Jesus has moved and he's doing this extraordinary work in your life. What would it look like for the impossible to be made possible in your life this week? What would God do? And here's what we see at the end of this passage. We see an intersection that when you do your normal work faithfully, right, when you take care of your responsibilities, and when God manifests his extraordinary work of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrecting on our behalf, when that gospel power spills into our lives by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know what the fruit is? Acts chapter 9, verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. This is true in Joppa 2,000 years ago. We're praying it'll be true in Denver today. And as we pray, let's ask and believe and work as though we actually believe this were true. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. that Jesus is alive and still in the business of changing lives today. And just as he can, years after his death and resurrection, bring a woman back to life in a room he's not ever in. Jesus, you do the same in the city of Denver and the state of Colorado and to the utmost ends of the earth today. God, in my prayer now is that we would actually believe like that, believe and live like that were true. For those of us uh, who are exploring spirituality and Christianity. And we got invited by somebody we work with or work out with or hang out with. Um, what, what I would just pray more than anything else is um, there would be a receptivity to at least explore um, if you are who you say you are. And God, I pray that um, even as we move into a time of communion now, that you would, that you would move in their hearts in such a way that beyond a shadow of a doubt, they would know this is true and worth them turning their life over to. God, I pray um, for those of us who have been Christians for some time, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe a decade, um, that we would start expecting and attempting greater things for you, that we would repent of our small vision, and we would believe um, that you can change cities and families and workplaces and homes for your glory. Do that in our city, in our Summit family, um, and let you receive the fame. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.